You've heard about the three states of matter, and now we're going to talk about the three states of hockey. Your Locked On Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Locked On Flames. As always, I'm your host, Jess Belmosto, and thank you so much for joining me here today. Today, I am joined by my partner in crime, Nick Zeraris. Nick, how are you doing? I'm glad to be here talking some hockey. It, it was a nice weekend, a lot of football, taking up a lot of space, but at the end of the day, I'm a hockey person. <laughs> yes, and hockey's back in full swing tonight, so... Uh, Plenty to watch tonight, and uh, today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off of your first purchase. We're 35 games into this season at this point, and that's nearly the halfway mark. And I feel like we, we know, for the most part, where everyone is, what everyone is and you know there's stats to back it up there are weird things every now and then you get situations like that happened last year where pittsburgh's in a playoff spot for five of the six months of the season then the last month of the season the panthers leapfrog them in but for the most part we're pretty locked in Uh, we talked about this on the power ranking show last week that of the 16 teams that are currently in playoff spots sure there are a few weird ones like the flyers like the predators like the coyotes Uh, those teams more than likely you would not believe me if i told you they were in playoff spots at this point in the season but just based on the way the league works more likely than not Maybe two of those teams don't end up making it ultimately, but more likely than not, one of the Flyers, the Capitals, the Predators, the Coyotes, one of those teams will probably end up making the playoffs, at least one. I think that that's what's so fun about hockey, too, is like, yeah, there's, you know, the typical contenders that you have every year, but there's always that opportunity for an underdog. Like last year was Florida, and... 2019 it was uh the blues and it's just it's fun it's fun to see i mean not your team get knocked out by one of those guys but for one of those teams to make it and see you know all that hope and desperation turn into something that's that's the sales pitch the nhl will tell you that they have a league full of parody not a league full of mediocrity those are very closely related to each other you have teams like the islanders who had a negative goal differential going into the week and are in a playoff spot somehow because of the loser point which rewards playing conservatively and not trying to win games you have teams like the flyers somehow hanging around with more talented teams even though they don't have a ton of talent but a testament to their coaching to a testament to their structure and their ideas but part of the reason hockey lends itself to those types of mere upset runs those miracle runs i mean the most successful is the blues you mentioned and then the kings who were the eighth seed when they won the cup the first time in 2012 when they beat the devils yeah 2012 that would those are the two most successful examples of the underdog and part of that is because of the way hockey is set up we were talking about before we started recording but 
part of the reason you have such vastly different opinions about hockey, about the same players, the same teams, from people who know what they're talking about, too. This isn't a knock to say, well, they don't know what they're talking For the most part, two people engaging in a rational, level-headed conversation can bring evidence, whether it be video, statistics, or both, to support a point about a player. Someone else can bring stuff... For- presenting a completely conflicting point of view about said player and they can both be partially right and the game of hockey the fluidity within the game is what makes it challenging to kind of to talk about in comparison to some of the other sports we always talk about hockey's free-flowing there's it's got the least structure of the four major sports in north Mm -hmm. america and that's part of why the individual coaches don't matter a whole lot unless you have one of the five or six really good guys for the most part you're just you're filling out the lineup card, but you're not instituting a whole lot because at the end of the day, execution in hockey comes down to decision-making. It's not like football where it's okay. Play one, play two, read one, read two, read three, all in a play where it's left to right or low to high. Though It's pretty easy to understand decision-making in football In hockey. The rules aren't as stead and fast of, okay, I'm getting pressured. The puck needs to go here. Yes. In an ideal world, players, are supposed, that's the whole point of having a system, a structure, things to fall back on is if I'm in trouble I have it built into me we practice it so much I know exactly what I need to do when I need to do it but it has a funny way of not working out that way every team every single fan every single team has one guy that all of their fan base just collectively goes what is he doing because they do not understand how somebody who co- who is coached, who practices regularly, makes the decisions they do. And that's because hockey enables that type of freelancing where if you're feeling yourself, you can make a ridiculously silly play. I mean, some of the most uh, – yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example. Okay, so this is a shootout. It's not as good of an example. But, you know, Merrick Malik, like the 18th guy to go in a shootout shooting between his legs. In an ideal world, you wouldn't want someone doing that. But – he had the irrational confidence to attempt it you see it all the time the flames are familiar with this nikita zadorov the human heat check he'd recover the puck in his own zone get ahead of speed through the neutral zone carry the puck into the offensive zone and go all the way to the net you're not supposed to do that no i there isn't a pace of play uh problem in hockey either like there is i mean you know you hear people instituting you know the pitch clock in baseball or complaining about how five football minutes is really like a half an hour with hockey I feel like you know you are getting that just full 20 minutes is actually 20 minutes Um, I mean of course there are going to be stoppages but not they're not anywhere near as frequent as um, other sports and like unless unless it is a ridiculous night on the ice between icing and all those fun penalties too no and um we were talking about it before but it, it ties into this we are all guilty at times of looking too much into any one given aspect Sports are complicated. Inherently, they are complicated when you have this many moving parts at one time within the confines of a game. Even we have rules out of bounds, uh, reasons for stoppages, penalties. There are so many things going on on any given individual play. I always say nothing happens for one reason alone, especially in hockey. The, Mm -hmm. The thing that hockey people will tell you when you are trying to ease people into the game is, 
the play is where the puck isn't. And that sounds counterintuitive to the person who's trying to keep up with the game, because as you just alluded to, it's happening very quickly. So you're trying to keep an eye on the puck. You're trying to keep an eye on the play developing. So the more trained eye knows to look kind of ahead, look where there's open space, because more likely than not, that's where the play is going to develop. For the purposes of this episode, and we're going to get into uh, some specifics, think about it like this. We have offense, defense on the neutral zone in hockey. Offense, we can talk about as offense, defense, and the neutral zone are kind of your bones. Those are the main parts of your body that takes up the most space in your body. The bones give you a baseline. What connects all of those things? The muscles, the tendons, the ligaments. That's what we're going to be focusing on today is trying to how it's all interconnected because we're too guilty. And I am of two. I am guilty of this too at times where we only talk about one aspect of the game because it's the simplest thing to do and it's the easiest way to have a conversation. It's not the most riveting conversation to talk about neutral zone structure, but it is an inherent component of the game. Yeah. And we will be uh, right back after this talking about everything Nick just said. But before we do that, uh, we are going to take a quick break here and um, get your game time or get your tickets to your next game on game time. You shouldn't have to worry when I, when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And this would make a great late Christmas or holiday present for that person in your life. I love that uh, tickets are super easy to find, the map super easy to navigate and find the best deals. You get the lowest price guarantee along with the views from your seat and just the flash deals as well. Um, all in pricing shows your total upfront so you know what you're getting and you're getting a great deal without any hidden fees. And you can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-H-L for $20 off. That's last-minute tickets, the lowest price, guaranteed. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us today on Lockdown Flames. As always, I'm Jess Belmosto, and I'm joined by Nick Zoraris, and we are talking about... More of the, the good stuff about the game that I think is important to talk about because I'm guilty of not always paying attention to it. Like it, it doesn't naturally happen sometimes. No, and that's because, and this is something I harp on all the time, it's because they don't talk about it on TV. When you are watching the game in other sports, the color commentator will occasionally point out, oh, they're bringing that safety down towards the line of scrimmage. They're going to have man coverage on the outside, or they've been getting killed on the pick and roll. They need to switch this better. Or this pitcher's been hammering that slider's fastball tunnel, and the hitters don't know what to come. In hockey, it's, well, those two guys are brothers, and they grew up in Saskatchewan. Like, that's great. That's great. Like, the human interest element is the easiest thing to do. It will keep the most casual audience engaged because those are people who aren't inherently invested in the game itself. They are looking for a reason to either change the channel or stay on what they're watching. You give them some color. You give them some reason to get invested in one of these players. And suddenly it's, okay, oh, that's cute. They're brothers. Like tonight, the Rangers are playing the Capitals. The Lingren brothers will be mentioned four to five times within the first period. Every single time Charlie makes a save and Ryan's on the ice. You know, that stuff is, it's not... It doesn't have no value, 
but it's not adding any value. It's not enhancing the viewing experience. So it's not anyone's fault that the average hockey fan isn't paying attention in the neutral zone. They're not monitoring the difference between a clear and uh, a controlled zone exit. And that's a lot of why I like these statistics. These are descriptive statistics. They're not predictive telling you what's going to happen. These are stats describing what's already happened. We are talking about the smallest components within the game. Passes leading to assists, passes leading to high danger scoring opportunities, zone entries leading to scoring opportunities, these little micro parts of the game. When you add all of these up, you start to get a more complete picture of different players' games. So starting with offense, we are, the way we understand offense in hockey in the present tense is you want to be on offense more than defense. You are okay trading a number of chances for more dangerous chances. And at the worst case, if you just have the puck in the offensive zone, you are not playing defense, which is better than being on defense. Being on defense is where you don't want to be. That's our baseline understanding of what we what we think we know about hockey right now. That doesn't sound like the most riveting, like crazy psychological intellectual breakthrough, but you would be surprised how many people would rather be like, no, I'd rather my team be really good defensively and have an elite goaltender. Well, Again, in an ideal world, you would be in the offensive zone for 60 minutes of the game and your goalie could read a book while he was in his net. In an <laughs> ideal world, that's what you would be doing. But because this isn't an ideal world, you need to capitalize. When we're talking about capitalizing, that means when we're in the offensive zone, we need to do stuff when we get there. So sp talking specifically about the Flames. The Flames have three players who are above average in shots themselves, individual and pro and shots, excuse me, assists that lead directly to a scoring chance. Those three players are Pospisil, who's been up here a couple weeks now, a couple months, I should say. Now, Backlund and Kadri. Huberto is barely above average in shots per 60. He's below average in shots in assists leading to shots. Everybody else is below average in the major in those in those two columns. So that tells you when the flames get to the offensive zone, they're not doing a whole lot with the puck. They're not passing to passing two shots. They and they're not shooting a lot themselves, in all honesty, which kind of goes counterintuitive to what we've said, which is they throw a ton of pucks at the net and they don't mm -hmm. particularly care where they come from. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, if you're just watching the first I nine minutes of a game, it's typically them just playing defense. I they have been incredibly um limited. In when it comes to shooting, I feel like I think it was the game against the Wild. They had maybe one shot on goal in the first half of the period, and that to me that's concerning because that that's not the Flames. That is not what we are used to seeing. Because you know they're the they'll just they'll shoot. They don't like you said they don't care where it goes because they're banking on luck. So I don't know. I'm. I'm shocked that Kadri is up there, but at the same time, I'm kind of not because he has been, I don't know, playing pretty well with uh, Zari and Pospisil. He's noticeable. That's more than you can say for quite a few players on the team. He's noticeable. You, you hear his name get called. You see him on the pocket decent amount. So next up, we're talking about just chance creation. So above average in both elements of chance creation, meaning individual and setting other people up, just Pospisil and Rzichka, not great. Above average in just scoring chances individually for themselves, Greer, Coleman, Huberdeau, Sharangovich, and then below average in both Zari, Dube, and Lindholm, which, again, 
when you have guys like Lindholm not shooting, you are not going, you are going to struggle when your most talented player does not shoot as much as he should and is not passing two shots nearly as much as he should. You are going to have a difficult time scoring when your best player is hesitant to shoot and he's not setting guys up to shoot. How do you break that habit of, I guess, is it like the lack of confidence or is it just, it this- can be a number of things that, that's the other part of this is there again, like we were just saying, more than one reason for all of this stuff. It might be who he's playing with. It might be his confidence. It might be the system. It might be what they're asking him to do. It could be any number of things. Moving along here. High danger I found relatively interesting <clears throat> because above average and just high danger, not overall chances. The only ones who are above average in both passing to a high danger shot and high danger shots themselves, Greer. Pospisil and Lindholm. Those are the three for high danger. So Greer, waiver claim, Pospisil, early season call up, and Lindholm, your best player. The problem is you are not getting enough volume. It's good that he's leading to, he's passing to dangerous chances and he's taking dangerous chances himself. But the fact that he's got that above average, the the quality of chance, but Mm -hmm. not the number of chances overall, tells you that they're not getting to offense enough. It tells you that they are not recovering the puck in the offensive zone. They're not having sustained time in the offensive zone. So when they do get there, he does do stuff with it. But based on the the long run, that you need a lot of those types of chances over time to eventually break the tide and score. If you only get, you know, a handful of really good chances, I think you're better off leaning on the a fewer, more dangerous chances than a lot of poor chances. But you do need a certain requisite level of volume because that tells you he's on defense, he's in the neutral zone, and the Flames are on their heels. That's the the underlying detail of this that, hey, if they're in the offensive zone and they're not doing a lot when they get there, what does that mean? It means they're not putting pressure on the goalie. It means they're not putting pressure on the other team's defense. And more likely than not, it means they're defending themselves. And yeah, I mean, that's something you can very easily pay attention to as well. I mean, I, I don't, I know oh, Elias and home $9 million. They really thought they were going to do that. Hey man, they lucked out. They did. Do you have any more stats for us before we move on today? Yeah, sure. I can squeeze this one last <laughs> offense in. One last thing I found interesting was entries leading to a scoring chance, meaning they have the puck in the neutral zone, they carry it into the offensive zone. The only one who is above average at the controlled entry itself and that entry leading to offense is Kadri. Entries just leading to scoring chances, not total zone entries. Greer, Pospisil, Dubé, Huberto, and then below average in both Coleman, Lindholm, Zari, Rizichka, Sharon Govich. And you'll you'll notice that not every player qualifies for all of these mm-hmm. statistics because the person stat tracking this hasn't done the same number of games for every team. So based on the games that they have stat tracked for the Flames, this is how the data bears out. I believe they've done at least 15 of the 35 games for every team in the league now. So as the season goes along, they backfill in more and we'll get a more clear picture. But that's why you'll hear when we're talking about different stats that some players qualify for some, some don't for others. And that's a good thing uh, to make a note of as we move on here to the defense. And we're going to talk about their statistics right after this. 
As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, with a, and there is a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app because it is super uh, user-friendly and you can cash out instantly and who doesn't love instant money? So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL postseason. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Thank you everyone for hanging out with us on today's episode of Locked on Flames. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts and of course on YouTube. And this is actually episode 700, which is mind boggling. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of Calgary Flames hockey. (laughs) So thank you, Nick, for sticking around for 200 of those. Speaking of sticking around, somehow (laughs) Noah Hannafin is still here. Going through all of the data, I was relatively surprised to see how well he tracked in most of the defensive categories, simply because I feel like whenever I'm watching him, I feel like he's always frantically trying to get back into position. Yes. I I, I don't know if that's anecdotal, and I I might be just, those stick out to me in my mind because they're like, oh, God, Hannafin's scrambling. He's out of position, and that's why it feels that way. And, again, I could be wrong about that. But anecdotally, it feels like he, in particular, is scrambly of the defense. Going into the defense, the stats we're looking at here when it comes to the micro stats of defense are leaving the zone with control of the puck. We're not talking about clears where they do the alley-oop out of their own zone where they loop the puck into the air as high as they possibly can without hitting the scoreboard so it lands in the neutral zone and they can get a change without having to actually work to get out of the zone. In an ideal world, you want your defenseman either skating the puck into the neutral zone or having a quick first pass out of their own zone to that pass. So they... The Flames do chart here better than they do on offense because, frankly, they just have better players on defense than offense. Like, to have two players who are in that upper tier, meaning they're very efficient, they don't fail leaving the zone, and they recover the puck a ton like Weger and Anderson, most teams generally only have one guy who is good at both of those things. There's a lot of guys who are good at getting back to the puck but they fail at breaking out of the zone. They get, they turn the puck over, et cetera. There's a lot of guys who fall into that trip, but to have two guys good at that, that's an, that's thing. And uh, speaking of Hannafin, the one thing is he doesn't make a ton of mistakes with the puck in his own zone, but they don't get out of the zone as much on uh, when he recovers the puck as, as Weger and Anderson. And then the, the, def- the defensive numbers aren't amazing because they still don't have a ton of the games of after the Zadorov trade. Like, Zadorov, surprisingly, is pretty okay in a lot of these stats, which, I mean, in a, in a vacuum makes sense because he's a pretty good skater. Like, I, I know he's in- incredibly frustrating to watch because his decision-making <laughs> is so erratic and irrational. But what... what as a defenseman to have that level of skating ability, that's kind of rare. So zone exits, clears versus possession, 
Tanif, Hannafin, we are all above average at exiting the zone with possession, which means they skated out themselves or they pass the puck out of the zone without turning the puck over. Anderson is above average at clears. He's slightly below average at exiting with possession. It's not inherently a bad thing to have a lot of clears. That does mean you aren't actively defending. That does mean you're able to get to the puck and alleviate some pressure. But in an ideal world, you want to have more zone exits than you want to have clears. Good good defensemen have both. Don't get me wrong. Like I was looking earlier, like Rasmus Dalin has the highest ratio of both, where he's in the top right corner of the chart because he gets <laughs> the puck a ton and he's good at passing it out, but he also can clear it out of there if he needs to. So it's not a one is good, one is bad. In an ideal world, you want a little of both because not every situation is the same. That's That's the other component here. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on is neutral zone. Defenses don't target Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin in the neutral zone. They're more likely to go at the partner on the other side or to dump it past them to try and get it. They will skate at Chris Tanev and he will stop them from getting by him. And then the other three defensemen didn't chart. And the last thing, the only defenseman that all three zones classifies as aggressive in the neutral zone, as far as pinching up, going to make a play is Rasmus is uh, Mackenzie Weger, which I, I in a vacuum again, Mackenzie Weger is their best defenseman because he is actively preventing offense from happening against them. And I know a lot of people, when we talk about defense, they're, where's the physicality? Where's the positioning? Where's the size? Those all do have some level of value. You look at it pretty, pretty strong correlation between success, especially in the postseason, versus bigger defensemen. Those are the guys who don't get hurt at over the course of a long playoff run because they're stronger, they're bigger, all the cliches. Those are typically the types of guys who do well there. When we're talking about this from a an academic perspective, I guess you would say your ideal defenseman in an academic setting is it's Kale McCarr. It's Adam Fox. Those guys aren't particularly big. They aren't particularly strong. And in Fox's face, you're not even particularly fast. You just have really good positioning and you know where the puck needs to go. So as far as the flames, again, reiterate, reiterating, they're very average in a lot of these categories. They are not heinously bad. They're not elite at anything they have a lot they have a couple guys who are above average in both both elements of that specific statistic they have a couple guys who are good at one a couple guys who are good at the other and they have two or three guys who are bad at all of them they they're they are the epitome of the goldilocks they are the epitome of the goldilocks conundrum but it's mid instead of good in the middle <laughs> yeah no that's uh i feel like that's the perfect analogy because that's i mean that's Calgary Flames hockey. What? So who is, I guess, like your player to watch um, on offense and defense, say offense, now through the all-star break? Based on this data, Pospisil intrigues me because this is somebody who doesn't have a long track record, but the fact he's above average in a couple of the transition stats, those are useful. You're always going to need guys who can carry the puck through the zone, who can go and recover it. And then as far as defense, I mean, Uyghurs, their best defensive defenseman. There just aren't a lot of guys with his toolbox. I, I don't know about watch one to watch as far as like improvement or what he could be. It's just, it's a treat to watch. He's really good at playing defense and there aren't a lot of good defense NHL. There aren't a lot of defensemen in the NHL who are good at actively playing defense. There are plenty of good defensemen. 
not a lot of them are actually good at playing defense. Throwing your body and leaving your partner to defend a two-on-one going back behind you, that's not good defense. That's you made a gamble and you hung your partner out to dry because you didn't get there fast enough. That's the difference. Uyghur is a treat to watch. One of my favorite players in the entire league. And the Flames are very lucky to have him. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us today on Locked on Flames. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube as well. You can follow us on X at Jess Balmasso and at Nick Zeraris. And, Nick, do you have any parting words for our friends here? Uh, there's 14 NHL games tonight. Go watch a few. <laughs>